up, guys? It's John Nelson, and you are listening to the Starting Block Podcast. Guys, this is a show for complete athletic development. Our mission here is to give you the tools to win, whether you're the athlete, the parent, or the coach. Now, as always, I'm here with my co-host, Chris Scarborough. What's Good morning. Up? How are you great, today? Great, great. How about you guys? Good, good. Doing well. Um, all right, if you're new to the show, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of how we operate, and then we're going to get right to it. Um, if you're new, first off, thanks for listening and joining. We appreciate you being here. Our show's a little different than the standard podcast. We have multiple shows within the show, basically. So the first type of uh, episode you'll hear from us is going to be a Q&A. This episode drops every other week. The Q&A is where Chris and I will answer the questions that y'all submit to us. And Chris, where can they submit those questions? Now, our new website, info at startingblockpodcast.com, info at startingblockpodcast.com. I want to make a note that our podcast is the Starting Block Podcast, but our website, take out the the, it's startingblockpodcast.com. Yep, so... um, by the time this episode airs, I may have already fixed it. I don't know. But if anybody out there knows how to get an inactive website, that domain is not available. So that's why it is startingblockpodcast.com. If somebody knows how to buy an inactive domain, let me know because I couldn't figure it out. But anyways, that's uh, that's the Q&A. So info at startingblockpodcast.com. Uh, the next type of episode that uh, you'll hear from us uh, is another bi-weekly episode, and that's the guest interview. That's what we have today, and we'll bring the guest on here in just a second. But that's where you know we'll bring guests on from across the country, our colleagues who share the same core values and mission that we have. You know, and they're going to share their stories of success and uh, you know what they do with their patients, clients, um, and it's also just a way for our listeners and community to connect with like-minded individuals. Um, and then the final episode is going to be the Friday fact fire or maybe Saturday sermon, just depending on when I get to it. And that's about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of me giving you a little bit of insight, maybe into the business side of stuff, motivational side of stuff, just some industry, you know, lessons, things of that nature. Guys, that episode doesn't come out every week. I'm a believer in putting out good content, and so if I don't feel like I got something good to say that week, I'm not just going to put something out there, you know, for the hell of it. I'm actually going to make sure that it's a it's a value for you. Um, so that's why you don't see that episode every week. Um, I also want to say, remember, like Chris said, our website is now up and active. You can subscribe to um, it, all platforms that were available on through the website, uh, including YouTube. You know, we're on YouTube. Uh, we are on the ELP, my company's page, the Elite Level Performance YouTube page. Um, you can also sign up for our newsletter. That's going to be coming out as well. So sign up for there. Sign up there. And then our final little bit of housekeeping is just a shout out to one of our sponsors, Exercise Unlimited. So remember, guys, Exercise Unlimited, they're the largest distributor of new and pre-owned fitness equipment in the Mid-South and Memphis area. They're locally owned and operated for 23 years. Exercise Unlimited offers a 5,000-square-foot showroom of all the major brands in addition to a 25,000-square-foot warehouse of high-quality pre-owned fitness equipment. All right, they are the experts, guys. So if you're local, visit them at 387 South Front Street, or you can visit them um, online at exerciseunlimited.com. Tell them that... John and Chris sent you, or you can use the promo code Starting Block Podcast 2023 for additional discounts. And when you go in there, you can ask for Elliot as well. So appreciate Exercise Unlimited. Thanks, Thank you. guys. And uh, so I think with all the housekeeping stuff done, it is time to get moving. Now, as you know, today is a guest interview, and we are pleased to welcome back 
my good friend, Dr. J. What's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on the show. Thank you yeah, for coming back. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time to come back in, man. So, yeah, the uh, first time you were on, we got uh, got a lot of good info and uh, had a lot of questions, too. A lot of questions. Well, hopefully we can get some of those questions answered. <laughs> yeah, let's well, do it. Well, I-, I think John's being just a little bit... Uh, conservative with him <laughs> what he said we got a lot of qu- no we got a ton of questions you know it's uh, i'm trying to work on being more humble. yeah 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 <laughs> and, and well well john i mean it has nothing to do with what you or i said you know it was it was all from uh you know no, no. so it was uh you know clearly i think good information usually yeah. usually brings up more questions right and yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was things from like, this is what, you know, it was, it was just that yeah. that they can't believe, even believe what they're hearing. So, guys, I would I would encourage you if this is the first if you're just joining the show and you're listening to part two here. All right. I would encourage you to go back and listen to our original episode with Dr. J. That's kind of our, our intro, you know, how how we all you know know each other and you know development of the neuro target system which is you know dr j's work you know that that we also you know incorporate down here in memphis and so i go, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to that so you get a foundation because this episode is going to kind of build on that a little yeah. bit i think that um, was that so. yeah and i would add too that people should go listen to that episode with rob lucky too that's a yeah that is a phenomenal episode i love that one i love how he started with that foundation of the neurotarget system and then went and got his own neurology degree and built upon it. And he just has some really elegant ways of explaining the same exact topics. You know, he's doing the same thing. So it's just, I, I really enjoyed that podcast. Yeah, I, that, that was a really good show. And I mean, we're, I'm, I'm super happy that both, you know, you and Dr. Rob have agreed to, you know, come on pretty much, you know, quarterly, you know, with us and uh, it, it's cool because there's just it's a lot of good info and um, you know when we all see things from the same same lens but with you know different vantage points it's, it's just kind of cool to hear and so it was awesome. Um, By the way, that's but, uh, uh, episode yeah. twenty. Doctor J uh, was episode twenty, and and I'm glad you pulled that. Yeah, I'm glad you pulled that up because I couldn't. And remember then I believe Doctor Rob was episode forty-two, I believe. So so you know, go back and, yeah. and check those out. Yeah. So um, let, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, start uh, picking Dr. J's brain a little bit. <laughs> Chris, I know you, uh, you know, you kind of tend to take most of our questions that come through. So um, why don't you go ahead and kind of get going? I don't going. even take them. I mean, they just find me, right? So uh, <laughs> the, the first thing, Dr. J, really, really came down to, um, you know, let's, I want to first just address like the why. Okay, let, let's, let's come from an injury lens. Okay, just from an injury lens initially. We're going to transition into the performance lens for sure. But what does it mean? I mean, when you when you say we're treating the why behind, you know, a, a rotator cuff tear or, a, or an ACL tear or, you know, sprained ankle, what have you. What does that mean? Treat the why, not the what. We know the what, correct? Explain Absolutely. the why. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's really, and I think Rob even addressed this a little bit too, but there's, there's two reasons people get injured. There's the one where you have trauma. So you have an external force come into your body that overwhelms your ability to absorb that force and you get a trauma of a tissue. So that could be a car accident. You could fall off your house. You could get shot by a gun, right? And you can see how those types of things would cause an injury. So when you talk about the what 
that's the what. That's what caused you to tear the thing, which is the, or I, I'm gonna back up. That's the why that caused the what. So if you herniate a disc in your back because you were rear-ended in a car accident, the why is the car accident and the what is the disc herniation. Now that explains a lot of injuries, but when we talk about athletics, I mean, people run and they cut and they tear their ACL. That's not trauma. Nobody touched them, right? People are throwing the baseball and they, they tear their rotator cuff. There's no trauma there either. So something else has to explain why this injury occurred. And what, that's the why that I'm talking about. So we're talking about these unexplained injuries. They're not excessive force trauma injuries. They're normal force, but you weren't able to absorb that force appropriately. And that normal force went somewhere where it didn't belong and injured the tissue. So when we talk about this why, it's this underlying inability to absorb normal amounts of force. Now that, a lot of people relate that back to strength, but if, again, it's not a strength component because if you have a certain amount of strength and less force than your strength comes into your body, you should be able to absorb that, but that's not what we see. Low strengths or low forces come in your body, you don't absorb them, and you get this injury. So it's this imbalance and inability to absorb force properly causes this damage of the tissue. So what is the imbalance? That's the why. And the imbalance, from what I can tell, is a neurological imbalance. And it has to do with the timing of how fast the brain can tell the muscle to turn on. Now, just like the lights in your room there, you can see the bulb has a certain amount of strength. And same with our muscles in our body. They have a certain amount of strength. But that bulb can only display its strength when the switch is on. Well, same in our body. Our muscles can only display and absorb force when the brain tells them to turn on. And these signals coming down from the brain can become delayed for a multitude of reasons. But if there's even a three-tenths of a second delay, that force coming in immediately transfers past the muscle. And wherever that force ends up, it's going to cause some trauma. Now, it might not be enough to tear the tissue right away, but when you repetitively, you know, run five miles or throw a ball, you know, in a baseball game over and over and over, that's going to add up and it adds up and it adds up. And it's this micro trauma over and over and over until now you've got a major trauma. You've got a partial tear or a complete tear, or you've got some major degeneration of a disc or cartilage or something like that. So this is the why that we're talking about. So it's clear that when you have trauma, that's, that's the why. But when you don't have trauma, this why is this underlying mechanism that causes an inability to absorb force. And the cool thing about with the neurotarget system is we can screen you or test you and find that why before you get injured. So it becomes a very, very preventative um, system. Or if you get injured, we can still find that why and correct it, which not only um, is an important process so that injury doesn't come back, so it becomes very preventative there too, but it also accelerates this injury recovery because if you're trying to put a brighter bulb in your light and the switch is still off, you're still not going to get any light. So you've got to get this mechanism repaired to bring the stability back to that tissue so that you can fix it. You know, And if you're 
taken one, two steps forward and one step back in your rehab process, it's going to just take you forever to fix it. But if you can eliminate that underlying imbalance and just plow ahead with the rehab, tissues can heal a lot faster than you would expect them to. Yeah, so I want to I want to touch on I think we touched on it in the first episode, but I just want to touch on it briefly before we go, you know, into some of these other topics that we're going to talk about. Um, will you dig in just for a couple minutes on what actually creates that inhibition? So why does that loop get broken up and why does that signal from the brain to the muscle, you know, not really get there? You know, cuz I always tell people that you know, there, there are a number of factors for why this muscle might not be absorbing force. There's, there's a lot of different issues. For those, for those of you who don't know, I, I've, I've been practicing NeuroTarget with Dr. J for 11, 12 years now. And so when I have somebody who can't stay in balance, for example, with a muscle shut off, will you dig into why um, that happens? Absolutely. So there is a nerve that goes from the spinal cord to the muscle. Okay? And we call that nerve the final common pathway. Okay? Now, nerves, they either fire or they don't fire. They don't kind of fire. They're either sending a signal or they're not sending a signal. So where the nerve starts in the spinal cord is an area in the front of the spinal cord called the ventral horn. And I think of this area as kind of like a big funnel. It's collecting signals from all over the nervous system. So signals from the cerebellum, from the cortex, from uh, reflexes from other muscles and, and joints and uh, the pons and mesencephalon, all that stuff is firing into this big funnel and it creates a certain amount of excitation. And we call that excitation the central integrated state. So this Ventral horns at a certain level of excitation, and typically that level is slightly less than threshold. Now, when neurons get excited enough to hit threshold, the, the pathway fires. And as long as those neurons are below threshold, the pathway doesn't fire. So the idea is when you want to have a muscle turn on, the ventral horn has to get excited enough to reach threshold. So when you think in your brain, I'm going to raise my arm, that signal comes down, it excites the ventral horn, that increases its, its central integrated state until it hits threshold, and then the signal fires to the muscle to activate it. Now, there's a couple things that can happen. That funnel that collects all the information, if you take away something that's exciting to it, it's going to move farther away from threshold. Also, if you add something that's inhibitory, to that funnel, it's going to move that central integrated state away from threshold. So if either of those two things happen and that central integrated state is farther from threshold, it's going to take more time to get enough excitation in there to where it can finally hit threshold. And that's where that delay comes from. So this is literally like when I push on the muscle and it fails, it's because that neuron is not firing because that center integrated state. So the, the goal of the treatment is what can we do to the person to get more excitation to that ventral horn to bring it closer to the threshold, or how can we take away the inhibition to get it closer to the threshold? And we can get it closer to the threshold. Now it takes less time for it to hit threshold, and, and we basically see that muscle and that's turning where, on then. So what and, that, and that's where, that's, that's kind of where, you know, we... We say when you're doing a neural response test or a applied kinesiology test, 
it's not a strength test. It's a it's a correct. It's a timing it's test. Timing. Yeah. Now because this ventral horn collects information from all over the body, there's lots of tricks and lots of hacks that get the muscle to turn on, but they're temporary. So this is why the neural target system has been so successful because we're really looking higher up, we're looking at more systems, we're looking at these these other areas of the brain firing and, and really kind of why is that central integrated state low in the first place? I mean, I can, if my bicep is weak, I can easily come in and do something to my tricep and get my bicep to fire and get it strong. But that's not the actual reason why the bicep's weak and it makes a temporary change, you know, and that's, that's kind of where some of these, um, you know, PRP or whatever it is where you rub the points or you do different things, like those things turn on the muscle but how long does it last? And that's the key. So if we can have a system where we can really target into the underlying or the main reason why that ventral horn is decreased in activity, we can make a change that's permanent. So what, what types of things can cause that central integrative state to, you know, downregulate? So like sickness, um, you know, Medicaid, things like that. Could you just yep. kind of hit on a couple of those little topics? Like, cause I get that question inevitably quite a bit. Like, okay, why is this always off? Yeah. And I think about the brain, it needs, Rob, Rob said this perfectly. It needs activation and it needs fuel. So if you take away any of those for one, the brain is changing and the only thing the brain can do is create output. So if the brain is changing, it's going to change the output. So, so activation is critical because if you sprain your ankle, it's going to change the way you move. That changes the feedback into your brain, which changes your brain. Now, if it changes your brain in a way that an area isn't getting stimulated, it's going to decrease in its output. And if it decreases in its output, the ventral horns that need that information to fire are also going to decrease in output, which means those muscles aren't going to turn on anymore. So that's an example of an injury to the body. So in this case, we've got where actual trauma could set you up for this neurological underlying imbalance. And that's why pe people get hurt and they heal. Okay. Then they don't have the underlying imbalance or they get hurt and they stay injured. They do have the underlying neurological imbalance. So that's one example. You can have direct trauma right to the brain, like a traumatic brain injury or a concussion that could do it could be um, a genetic thing could be actually a developmental thing so a lot of times we see in the office um, primitive reflexes that are are present this yeah, is an indication on that one yeah yeah of a loss of output from certain areas of the brain and when you develop after you're born you go through these phases of reflexes and if one of those reflexes doesn't get stimulated enough that part of the brain associated with that reflex doesn't get developed enough. And when it doesn't develop and integrate into the rest of the brain, it gets left behind, right? So now that area is not creating output. Whatever it's supposed to do doesn't get done, you know? So maybe that's why you're terrible at math or maybe that's why you flip-flop your Bs and your Ds or that's why you can't recognize people's faces or understand a joke or maybe that's why, you know? Um, I, mean, there, I feel like that that is just that that is skyrocketing. I mean, yeah, I, it's huge. I, I feel like I see it more and more and more and more. Yeah, you know. that's part of our screen, you know, with our neurotarget system. If you're if you're <clears throat> under twenty, 
we check those reflexes and it's unbelievable. I mean, even in 40 year olds, we find those positive sometimes, but you give them a couple of simple exercises to do to start driving that part of the brain. And it's amazing. Like they come in and they'll show me their handwriting and it was totally illegible. And then two weeks later they come in and it's this beautiful, you know, piece of artwork almost. It's like, they can't even believe they're the same person, you know? So it's, it's really, really cool to see changes in the brain and how that output affects it. But Again, you can have an injury, you know, basically in the brain, in the brainstem, in the spinal cord, and all the way down to the ventral horn. You can have changes in antagonistic muscles. You can have changes in agonistic muscles. You can have, I mean, that, that's the thing about the ventral horn because it's just a collector of information. There's so much stuff above it that could be the problem. And really without a neurology degree, you wouldn't know how to go in and assess that and figure out where that underlying imbalance is. I mean, there's some cool, you can put, you know, orthotics in your shoes and get a change in a muscle test, but that doesn't mean that's the problem and that's what needs to be corrected. So that that's, I think where the muscle testing gets a bad rap is because people use it inappropriately. They don't, they're not actually doing like, like the, the right kind of work with it, you know? Yeah, it can be very. It can be very subjective. Yeah, you know? exactly. And there's a lot of things that can influence it, which I think is the difference with neurotarget versus other approaches. You yeah, know? and you know, when you test a muscle, you really just want to keep your mind blank. Yes. Because if you try to predict what's going to be weak or what's going to be strong or what you think you should find, it it you know it just changes the changes the way you test and it changes the test. So a lot of times I'll be talking to the patient just going along and all of a sudden like oh oh well mm-hmm. well you know i wasn't ready for it i almost fell down because i was getting ready to push on and it didn't lock and yeah because because then you can you could influence it then we get into the whole you know quantum yeah. physics and you know all the energy yeah, past fields lives and, and, and all what that stuff. john it's crazy <laughs> sure but people right? do well, that i think stuff. john and i were thinking the exact same thing when you said there could be multiple you know you, you were talking about this funnel going back to the funnel example you used i think john and i were thinking the exact same thing i could see the look on his face so if we have this funnel, we have numerous things that can impact the output, right? Does that mean then that there are numerous ways that that could be more of a permanent fix to this this unlocking muscle, or is there typically one one influence? Okay, so you said you know there's there's you know it's got all these all these things are going into the top of that funnel, right? Is there usually one thing? that seems to be the answer to a longer term fix or is there, cause clearly, like you said, yeah, we can find a temporary fix with a whole bunch of things, you know, PRP or whatever, you know, whatever example. So, uh, yeah, it's usually one okay. or two things, one or two, uh, sometimes three, but, uh, the key, the trick is you do the thing that activates or changes that part of the body or the brain. You send them home. They come back in three days or whatever. If they're strong, you were right. If they're weak again, you were wrong. Um, having said that, if they're weak again, but you're still kind of finding the same underlying. So let's just say their right cerebellum's weak and it's causing weakness in their right glute. And I activate their cerebellum and we get it firing and we see changes in balance testing or coordination and their glute turns on. They go home. They come back, they've got that weak glute again, but their cerebellum's weak again, okay? 
there's a relationship there, but whatever we did to the cerebellum wasn't the thing that changes it. So is it the cerebellum or is it something else that's supposed to be feeding into the cerebellum that's not, right? And that's why the cerebellum's weak. So we got to kind of tr- keep tracking it back. Like where, why is the cerebellum getting weak again? Why didn't it stay firing? So, you know, maybe it was the, the opposite frontal lobe isn't firing into the cerebellum properly. And maybe that's kind of the core of the problem. So, but inevitably, if you trace it, keep tracing it back, 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 you're going to get yeah. to the root cause. You know, and it could be something like a, like a tib-fib separation, you know, and, and you just need to support that ankle and get that feedback going, you know, from the body, per, more change the feedback from the body as the, cause, right. as the root cause. Yeah. I'll, uh, yeah, we need to do an episode on the tip. We can do right. a whole episode on that one um, for sure. Um, but I had uh, this amazing patient, you guys. You wouldn't believe this. She drove here from Kansas City. Someone told her I could fix her. She had this pain in her feet, cramping in her legs. She loves biking, loves running. Couldn't run more than 300 feet without having to stop because of this pain. And she te- laid down. I tested her. Every muscle was shut down, everyone. And I'm just thinking like, man, am I just overpowering her or, I mean, what's going on? So I got her in balance. She left. She came back later that day. I saw her three times a day, completely out of balance again. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm not getting it. So I did deeper, deeper testing and I found it was bilateral tip fibs. So I'm like, well, let's tape these up. And she's like, well, it can't be that easy. I'm like, well, it could be. And she came back. She still had some weakness, but it was way, way better. So then we did a little bit more neurological stuff, had her, kept her ankles taped, and then, then we did some, uh, we did some um, electrical stim. And then basically she was like, well, how do I know if I'm better? I'm like, well, you got to go run. She's like, well, I, I can't. I can't even run 300 feet. I'm like, well, just go try to run. And so she came back then the next morning. She's like, oh, Dr. J, I ran around the whole lake. I was running so fast. It was like running downhill. Like she was like just, just from the tape on the ankles. Yeah. Uh, like that's pretty much it. Well, we're, we're on the subject. We might as well go ahead and talk about it a little bit because I'm sure there are quite a few listeners that have no idea what we're referring to. But I, I, I'll say real quick, like I'm right there with you because there will be times where I just I forget to check. Like yeah, sometimes me too. I just won't. Like I'm just I'm too busy thinking about other stuff, talking to them, whatever. And it's like, yeah. dang, man, like, why is this not holding? And then it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot yeah, to check, check it. Me, John, bam, so. instant, like, yeah, you checked me, John. Within 24 hours. You yeah, checked me you know, when I came up there last <laughs> week. Yeah, you did check me. So I, I do remember that. So, yeah, it was uh, – yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy, you know, to think something yeah. that simple. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, yeah so, so the tip fib and doc, yeah, I mean, uh, tip fib, Dr. Yeah. J, why, why don't you tell sure. people what it is? So basically, the, you got the tibia, which is the bone on the front of the shin, and then the fibula is the supporting bone that goes down the outside of the lower leg, and they come down to form the ankle joint, and so there's a joint between the tibia and the fibula called the tibiofibular joint, and this joint is supported by ligaments, and the joint kind of makes a U-shaped um, at the bottom, an upside-down U, and then the ankle bone, the talus, sits up inside that U-shape. Now, a typical joint, like the knee, has two bones, and it's got ligaments going from bone to bone, and then there's muscles that cross the joint to move the joint and support the joint. So the ligaments basically keep the joint in alignment, and then the muscles move and protect the joint. If you were to fall and sprain your knee, 
That sprain means that that ligament on the knee gets stretched out. Now, when a ligament gets stretched out, it just stays there. It doesn't go back. Luckily for the knee, though, the muscles are going to come in. They're going to contract and protect the knee. So that's why we get this stiffness in the knee after you injure it. When you do that, it takes the stress off the ligament, and those ligaments slowly shrink down when there's no stress on them. Typically, it takes about six weeks for that process to occur. And that's why if you ever had a cast on your elbow or if you, if you don't ever raise your arm above your head, like pretty soon you won't be able to anymore because those ligaments will shrink down if they don't have the right stresses on them. Now for the tibiofibular joint, there's that ligament across the tibia and fibula. And because of the way the talus is wedged up between those two bones, when you twist or roll your ankle, it actually wedges those bones apart and stretches that tibiofibular ligament out. Now this joint is unique in the fact that there's no muscles that wrap around that tibiofibular joint. All the muscles go down the shin, down the leg, to control the foot. And so the problem with that is once that ligament gets stretched out, there's nothing to support it to get the stress off it to allow that ligament to shrink back down. So you get this chronic hypermobile or loose joint. Now the feet are critically important because of the way they contact the ground. There's hundreds and hundreds of joint receptors all along that ankle joint. And when it's loose like this, these joint receptors don't understand what position the foot's in. They don't understand how it's contacting the ground. And they don't understand how force is coming into the body. Now, the feet are important because they, they send signals up to the brain telling the brain, like, hey, get ready. There's some force coming in, and this is what it's going to look like, right? Just like if I were to throw you a ball, John, I'd say, hey, John, catch this ball, right? And then you're ready. You can catch it. But if I just turn around out of nowhere and throw a ball at you, like, it's just going to hit you in the face because you weren't ready for it. So when the ankle is loose like this, these receptors can't feed information up to the brain. So the brain doesn't know what to expect. And the brain's not fast enough to compensate for that. It, it can't turn those muscles on. So every time you step on this foot or run on it and you put force through here, that feed-forward information the brain needs, it's not happening. And so the, it affects the output. And basically what you get is weakness, these muscles not turning on. And it happens pretty much throughout the whole body. It's a pretty global weakness problem. And so... We stand people up, we have them jump, they lay back down on the table, boom, everything shuts down. We, we put tape around that tibiofibular joint, and there's actually kind of a trick to taping it, um, but <laughs> we'll keep that secret to ourselves. Um, but anyways, <laughs> it holds those two bones together, and it makes that joint stable again, tight. And now the joint receptors can start feeding that information back up to the brain again. We stand the person up, they jump up and down, they lay down. If you taped it properly, then those muscles start locking in again. And that, that if you've ever sprained your ankle, you pro unless you wore a boot you know, for six weeks, you probably have a tib fib that's still stretched out. Even if you so how would that, don't even how would have that pain then down there. impact? Yeah. I, I know that it can shut down muscles in the upper body, but explain that. Like, how would that tib fib affect, say, my? on a lat on the opposite side for example yeah it could be any muscle so let's just say you're a, you're a baseball player i know you guys work a lot with that and you sprained your left ankle right you're winding up on the mound 
you bring the ball back, you slam your left foot down on the ground because you're about to throw, right? You don't get the feedback you need. Your arm shuts down. You throw the ball, and now you can't slow your arm down anymore because those muscles shut down, right? So you can't decelerate anymore. So all these decelerators that are supposed to be absorbing force can't. And when a muscle can't absorb force, that force transfers through the muscle, goes into the tendon first, then the ligaments, then the joint, then the labrum, meniscus, all that stuff. Wherever it ends up, that's what you tear. So you might tear your subscapularis or your supraspinatus or your, your lat, or you might, you might tear the labrum. So, yeah. Wherever that so force that, ends that... up. And it, if you were just to stand on your right leg and throw the ball, it'd be just fine. But the second you hit that left one down, you lose this feed-forward mechanism and, and you, you can't There's reach threshold, basically. Yeah, it makes a profound difference. Profound. Um, now, Chris, I know you also had uh, some questions. <laughs> People were very They're curious crazy. about uh, the performance side of stuff that we talked yes. about a little bit so in let, episode let's, one. Let's kind of go back, um, yeah. and I'm going to try to frame this question best I can. I'm giving a little, little, uh, you know, try to set it up a bit. But all right, so clearly. You know, when when you and, and Jay Schroeder and you you know you're given the story of this you know 150 pound difference or or whatever the weight was I don't recall the exact weight, but just tremendous differences in, in say what they were the weight they were benching with in this training session was much higher than their previous max like just the day before two days before whenever way up well. If this person so clearly was capable of, of bench pressing more than they were training with prior, their body already had the strength, but they couldn't display it. Is that would that be correct? Is that a correct assumption? They already had the ability. So That's how correct. do you okay why was a first question is why was their body not able to to demonstrate that before? And then or what are some reasons? I know there's probably more than one reason. But secondly, how do you know for the for how can you identify a way to know that, OK, it's safe for this person to be ramped up to train at that higher level? Uh, like how, how do you know? Um, because clearly, you know, you could do that. You could get somebody ramp them up and they could go hurt themselves. So how what's that criteria? Yeah. I mean, when you train someone, it's it's critical that you're observant in a way that because you're trying to get them to do, you know, more than they've ever done before. Right. And you have to have a very controlled um, environment to do that because you want to just manipulate one thing at a time to see how they respond to that. And so that's kind of the the art of knowing if they're ready or if they're not, you know, and, and one of the the basics of training, you know, where Jay Schroeder trains is he puts them in a position and he watches how they fail, right? And if they're doing a lunge and they're, you know, and they're holding, holding the lunge and then they start kind of as they're feel, failing, they're, they're going like this, you know, it's pretty clear their back is weak, right? Or if they're lunging, you know, and they start, they're arching, arching more and more as they fail. I mean, then, you know, the weaknesses in the, in the yeah abs you know or the front and so in the bench press you can watch how they fail 
and you can see where their weakness is. So, you know, it's not like you just take a guy off the street and you start doing super training. Like he's been training these guys for more than a year. So he knows their weaknesses. He knows what to watch for. He knows how they fail. And he's been working on those weaknesses. So he can tell when they're ready to take it up to the next level in a safe way, you know, by isolating or by doing a, you know, a certain way that they do the exercise. So when I, you know, I typically work on the other end of the spectrum where someone's coming in with an injury and we would never do super training in that respect. So part of the process of, of training someone is actually trying to get them to go out of balance by making them train out of position or make them do something kind of weird while they're training and if they can maintain position and or fatigue and maintain position, that's kind of the key component of it. Because it's okay to fail. You just want to fail in position. If you're failing out of position, you know, if you're benching and your arm's coming up, you're not ready for super training. But if you can fail in position, then you're ready. So once you learn, can fail in position, we can load you up as much as we want. You're either going to do it or you're going to fail. But when you fail, you're not going to get hurt because you're still in position. And so that's one of the keys to knowing if someone's ready. So like when we had them do these benches, like, okay, so we added 25 pounds and they did it. Okay, well, let's try more. So we tried 50 and they did it and they were maintaining position. Well, let's try 75. Let's try 100. Let's try 150, right? And then after that, at like 175 or whatever we were at, then they couldn't do it anymore, but they were failing and they were still in position. So it's very controlled and they're not going to hurt themselves as long as they're able to maintain the proper f- form and position. So that's, and that, that's not something that I was evaluating. That was something Jay was watching and meticulously, you know, coaching them on to make sure so we didn't have any injuries. So that's one thing. It had more um, to do with capability. I mean, I just, I mean, yeah. Oh, oh right. why, why, why? Why are they limited? That's right. So the first limitation is uh, it's, a, it's a receptor called the Golgi tendon organ. Okay, This is a governor. And a governor, if you've ever ridden go-karts at the go-kart place, you can speed up. And when you hit a certain speed, it's like the engine cuts out. It, just, it can't go any faster than that because this governor limits how fast that car can go. And if you could get that governor off the car, it actually can go a lot faster. Right, So the governor in this Golgi tendon organ, it senses how much force is transferring from the muscle through the tendon to the bone. Now, in order to display strength, the muscle has to contract and move the bone. So this force transfer has to occur through the tendon. And the GTO, or the Golgi tendon organ, senses that level of force. And it's set at a certain amount of force that will, it will allow to transfer through there. And once you get to a greater force than that, it sends a signal to turn off the muscle, right? And the reason it does that is so you don't tear the tendon. You don't want to tear it off the bone. Well, in most people, they don't train their Golgi tendon organs. They train the muscle. And so they're doing, and a perfect example is a concentric bicep. It strengthens your muscle but doesn't strengthen the tendon. So they have a strong muscle. They got a weak tendon. When they go to display force, their tendon is going to limit the amount of force that their muscle could actually produce. And this is one of the main factors of why people can't display 
all this strength that they have. So there's some specific things we can do to actually override that tendon uh, inhibition, and we can we can kind of release their ability to to uh, produce strength. Another one is a lot of people just have these inefficiencies. So when you do a, a, a curl, your bicep has to contract, but your tricep has to relax to the same degree. And, you know, it was kind of like all of a sudden, and maybe, John, you went through this, where you're thinking about the contraction, the contraction, and then all of a sudden one day you're like, no, no, it's not the contraction. It's the relaxation. You can only contract your bicep to the degree you can relax the tricep or vice versa. You can only activate your tricep to the degree you can relax your bicep. So now all of a sudden you start thinking about it differently. Like the faster or the more I can relax my bicep means the harder I can contract my tricep, which means I can move my arm faster. So there becomes some elements to training where you're teaching your muscles to work together where one relaxes and one contracts. And the contraction, because it fires to the opposite ventral horn and inhibits it, allows relaxation. But the relaxation takes away inhibition from the contracting muscle, allowing it to contract harder. So they, they play off each other. And the, one of the really, really, really cool things about training is if you do it correctly, contracting one muscle lengthens the opposite one and recovers it. And then when you switch and move the joint the other way, that contraction recovers the first muscle. And so if you were to actually train in a specific way, you could teach your body to recover itself. So now when you're running and you're using your hamstring and then your hip flexor and your hamstring, or we'll just use the glute, glute, hip flexor, glute, hip flexor, as you're moving your hip back and forth, one can recover the other and you can just train. You can run and you don't fatigue anymore because you're recovering on every single step if you have the right kind of contraction and movement. And so these inefficiencies are, they're trained into us through normal bench press, normal squat rack, normal deadlift, power lifting. They're trained into us and we, and they, they really, really limit us. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you just said, this, this podcast is going to, when it comes out, I mean, it'll be a few weeks here, but I just put a video up about that yesterday. I mean, and so what you just said, guys, is understand what Dr. J just said is exactly why, like, when people are still arguing over what's better, the front squat or the back squat or the deadlift <laughs> right. or the trap bar deadlift, I don't care. doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. None of them are. They're all inefficient <laughs> Like because you're not training the muscle the way it's designed to, to operate. So I think about a squat, guys. Like, you know, uh, in the squat, you shouldn't be lowering with the quad. That's not how it works. Right. You're teaching your body to move the wrong way. But if you're pulling down the right way, then you're – instituting this you know change of hey we're teaching the body how to move the right way and so you get all these different effects to it and um yeah i'm I'm glad you you went down that path i mean just to go off of that one of the things about muscles is their overlap how much can they overlap when they contract this is a key a key concept for training the more a muscle can overlap it does more force it can produce okay does that make sense and if a muscle can only overlap this, you know, a tiny amount, it can't produce that much force. So there's some key concepts. One is 
When you pull down in the squat with the hamstring, that's going to inhibit the quad and allow it to lengthen more. Okay, now it's in a longer position, so when you push into the ground to come back up, there can be more overlap. So immediately, just by pulling down into position, you're going to create more force coming up. And, you know, I always feel it like in a, when I do the bench press and I pull the weight down to my chest, it's like I'm loading a spring. And almost all I do is like stop pulling down and the weight like comes back up right. on its own almost. Even if you want to go the normal like powerlifting side of yeah. stuff, like what's one of the first things that you know you should be doing in, in a bench? Engaging your lats, like the opposite, like pull the yeah. bar down. And yeah. The, so I, like we know this like subconsciously, which is somewhere in the what, fitness and strength industry we know, veered away. But you just don't do it. You're just thinking about using that same muscle to lower it. And then the same one to bring it back up. But if you do that, you can't get that lengthening you to can occur because there's nothing inhibiting it. I, and I, so that's I a key just, thing. I mean, so far, I mean, my mind's just getting blown here because, I mean, not, not, not that you're saying things that I have not heard before, but it's just you begin to relate some things to why you know, ISO extremes can be so beneficial, why altitude drops can be so beneficial. Deal why you know rebounds can be so beneficial done correctly assuming the position's correct i mean so it's it, yeah. it it's uh like i said it, it's almost like this is how the like as you said this is why the body is trained a certain way it's to get this on off switch and that's that's the best way i can relate it to the clients i see it's like exactly we got to get these these switches coordinated you know yeah you know and and there's a time and a place for training max strength or starting strength or velocity or endurance or, or whatever trait you know you want to train but most of the time if you just look at the platform that they need to build strength upon that's not ready um, I mean I've seen professional athletes that literally needed to start from the beginning They've got a lot of skill, but they got no physiology to back that up. Um, and I mean, I can just, we had this professional basketball player in here, very famous professional basketball player. And uh, Dennis, RIP Dennis, he uh, gave him a test to jump up, touch the rim as many times as he could in a row, right? He only had to jump like two, three inches. And literally by the fourth jump, he could not jump high enough to touch the rim on the basketball court. He had no physiology to back up his skill at all. And you could see it. He could run down. He leaps up. He slam dunks the ball. And he walks back. He can't even run back. So after we trained him just a little bit to change some of this length relationships and things like that, he, he could do it pretty much indefinitely. Boom, boom, boom. We did another really fun one. When we were in Amsterdam. There's this uh, guy... Pretty strong, pretty strong. And he, we were going to have him arm wrestle the, this girl. And she, she was like an office worker. So, I mean, she was fit, but she wasn't like working out hard. And we were going to have him arm wrestle, and we were going to prove that by manipulating these traits, we could basically shut him down and we could super compensate her. And she, she beat him. <laughs> and he, he was angry he couldn't believe it that he got beat by this girl you know and 
you know, we un, kind of undid what we did a little bit and had him arm wrestle. And, you know, he beat her easily then after that. But he, like, people were just, like, they thought it was, like, we, we rehearsed that ahead of time. Or it was, like, it was like, no, no, we manipulated these traits. So just taking a simple concept like training in an eccentric position, you can create that length in the muscle. So now you get more overlap. We know that as muscles contract, that doesn't use any energy. Just calcium floods in and the muscle contracts. What uses the energy is getting that calcium out to get that muscle to lengthen again. So as you're exercising and you're using up your energy and you're, it's going away, your muscle is going to continue to shorten. So when you get to the point where you can't lengthen it anymore and it's shortened, that's what, what we would have is full fatigue. But if you can start with a longer muscle, it's going to take that much longer to get to that full fatigue. So you, you hugely increase that endurance. Secondly, longer muscles can contract harder and faster. So you have a huge increase in um, performance. And thirdly, when you train eccentrically, it puts the stress on that Golgi tendon organ. And that is going to develop that organ and develop the tendon strength. So now you can start transferring more force through there. And instead of having a kind of a party trick where we ramp people up and we train them, you're going to get a long-lasting tendon strength change. And these are the kind of concepts where you build this platform. So now you've got the tendon strength, you've got all the things. You can start building strength on top of that. And that's where we really start getting some huge changes in performance and, and strength. And that's just, just from using an eccentric exercise. That's it. I'm like, that's the simplest concept there is. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, as we, as we talk, I'm kind of making, making a connection here with something that I think when we, when we train this way and we teach the body, like we, we actually train the body the way it's supposed to operate, that when we do sustain an injury, say it is a traumatic type of deal, you know, that with the body understanding, hey, this is how I'm supposed to do things, it will actually assist in the recovery. And so like what I'm saying is, um, I'm going to use my stepdaughter here for as an example, is she has a grade two medial ankle sprain. Like, and I mean, that, you know, it's usually the lateral side of it. And it was, it was a bang, bang play, you know, I mean, a couple, you know, people collided. And so, you know, it's not like it was non-contact. But I mean that's a that's a pretty significant you know injury, especially where it is. But we're a week and a half in, and we're full range of motion, calf raises, no pain already. And a huge part of that, I believe, obviously, is the neurotarget. It's clear the neurotarget system. But the fact that she's trained the right way for yeah, so I saw, long. By the way, I saw that, that the body ankle. knows it what was. It's uh, yeah, do. it was pretty. It was pretty swollen. <laughs> it was pretty nasty. Yeah. yeah. There's a. Uh... There was a very cool thing that that blew my mind, right? And uh, that doesn't happen very often. But when we first did the, the super training, we had – it was a three-part system. So I would super compensate their brain. Dennis would use the ARP to lengthen the muscle to prepare, you know, the lengthening for those imp- improved performances. And then Jay would actually do implement the exercise to train them. And – it was interesting because we found that if they did the exercise appropriately, Dennis would put the ARP on them and try to loosen them, and it was like nothing. They, they would go to 10. We would recover them, whatever. 
if they did the exercise incorrectly, they couldn't tolerate the ARP at all. Like they couldn't even get past five. And so instead of using the ARP to recover them, now the ARP actually just became the test to see if they did the exercise correctly. Because even if they were couldn't get to four on the ARP because they were inflamed or whatever, if they did the exercise correctly, they could immediately get to 10 on the ARP then in the test. And so we found that the exercise was actually more effective in like doing whatever it did. I don't even know to, to change there. And then the ARP was the thing that showed them that they were actually working appropriately because they could go straight to 10 on the ARP. And again, the ARP is one of those things that everybody's like, well, how does this work? And I don't know. Nobody really knows. It, it does it does something, right? And some people say it's <laughs> meridians or some people say whatever. I don't care. But there's something to it that when it hurts, there's something wrong with you. And when it feels fine, there's nothing wrong with you, right? And we were using it. It, was just, it blew my mind that we didn't have to use the ARP to get them to recover. It happened in the training. And it was more effective than actually trying to use the yeah, ARP. It, to that's impressive. Yeah. The, you know, I, and still... I guess yeah. that still comes down to the fact that in the inappropriate training, shorten the muscle, you know, in, you know, to, to messed Abs- up this exactly. timing, messed up, messed up this on off switch. And yet <laughs> you might not, you might be doing ISO extremes in the wrong position and you'd still get this, <laughs> you know, this messed up on off exactly. switch, which is, uh, uh, yeah, you know, and that's, you kind of said ISO extreme. That's that's a great word, but you really want to separate out the the eccentric from the isometric. They're they're two completely separate concepts. They do completely different things. And sometimes you use one, sometimes you use the other, and sometimes you combine them. But the main thing is, if you're in a in a eccentric position and you're in that isometric, so if you don't know, isometric means you're not moving, and then eccentric means you're in a position that lengthens the muscle to the maximum that it can lengthen so right you're in so a, think isometric like you're just holding a lunge right not that, a better a better yeah. word to say would be, be like a, lowering in a bicep an, curl for a super slow eccentric <laughs> right yeah and and it's tricky because if you're talking about the bicep we're talking about the elbow being straight right but if we're talking about the tricep eccentric we're talking about the elbow being maximally bent or flexed right so it gets tricky when you're talking about certain exercises which muscle groups are we talking about here because you want to make sure you're lengthening the right ones and then what you do is you pull your body further into that lengthened position and and um, what happens is you start rotating through the energy cycles so the first one's atp that lasts about two to three seconds then you get to the anaerobic respiration that lasts about 30 seconds. And then you get into the aerobic respiration, which kind of takes over from there. And then from there, you get into the lactic acid cycle, which hardly anybody ever gets there because it's so uncomfortable. It's like this burning feeling in your muscles. So what most people do is they take it to the point where they're shaking and they're burning and they kind of they kind of either give up or they quit, which I know those are the same things, but they, they like fail even though they could have maybe gone a couple more seconds. But the more you can train in that, you can, you can get that lactic acid cycle to start producing energy. And the, the nice thing about the energy cycles is that 
anaerobic respiration actually recovers the ATP cycle, and the aerobic respiration recovers the anaerobic respiration, and the lactic acid cycle recovers the aerobic respiration. So because they recover the steps before, if you can complete the journey all the way through, you start over at the beginning again, and all of a sudden you get to this point where you can hold the lunge indefinitely, and it's a real thing. It is a I've real thing. It. I've seen yes, it, it is. few times that people trained to the point where they got to that point. And it's very uncomfortable, very difficult. But, you know, the point is you got to take that exercise to the point where you fail. But not only that, you've got to be maximally pulling into position. Now, we know if you maximally pull, you fail in about 30 seconds. And what, what happens when you fail? You fall down. So what do you do? You get back up. You get back in the position and you start pulling again until you fail. And you keep repeating that over and over and over. So when, when uh, people demonstrate this five-minute lunge, I've seen Jay say, oh, your lunge is terrible. It sucks. Well, why does it suck? Well, it's because you're not displaying the effort needed to get into that lactic acid stage. Because that's really the thing is if we can complete that energy cycle loop, you, you, you don't fatigue anymore. You're like this super athlete, and you just, it's like all of a sudden your leg is like this iron pillar. It's amazing. It's amazing. But hardly anybody has enough mental toughness to take it that far because you have to repeatedly, over and over, take it to fatigue, take it to fatigue, get up, take it to fatigue, pull as hard as you can, get up again, do it again, do it again, do it again, 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 over and over and over and over and over. And then when you just hold the position without pulling maximally, you, you just sit there. Yeah, I think this is a good cliffhanger to, to leave the <laughs> audience with. This is a really good one. Yeah, because, uh, yes, it can be done. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we, uh, we, we're we wrapping up on time anyway. So that's a really good one to, to finish things up. And I think, uh, you know, next episode we'll follow up on that one, you know, as well. Um, I always wonder how many hours we, we could go if we were just unlimited, like, Oh yeah, hitting, I mean, hitting could, every could, topic. Could, yeah, I mean, we could be here all day. Like you know, we could sit here for four, five, six hours and just talk shop. Um, all right, but yeah, I, I, we are getting close to wrapping this up for today. And uh, so, uh, I'll also go ahead and make the announcement that um, we are working on putting together a NeuroTarget um, seminar and training um, here in Memphis uh, at Elite Level Performance. We are, it is a to-be-determined date. We are thinking it's going to be sometime in the summer. We will put that information out there. Now, if you are interested in coming down uh, or coming out here and learning uh, the NeuroTarget system, Yes, and us, make sure they put right, John info, in the subject line, uh, Dr. J Seminar. In the subject line, Dr. J Seminar. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and we will we will have all those details and stuff like that for you um, coming up in the next couple weeks. And then the other I side, I would of like it, to add to that as well. Yeah, um, you know who's this? Who would the seminar be for? It can be for a chiropractor who wants to learn it and implement it into their office. It could be for a physical therapist who wants to screen their patients before they start doing uh, the actual tissue rehab to heal the tissue and, and correct those underlying imbalances. It could be for an athletic trainer who wants to screen their injuries for preventative purposes and also correct these underlying imbalances before they start training them. That way they don't have to train them 
you know, with compensation patterns or train, train them and modify exercises because they can't get into a position. It could just be for a mom or a dad who wants to, you know, do the best thing they can for their, their son or daughter and, and kind of check and screen them periodically. Um, even if they can't learn the corrections, they can still at least check them and say, oh, mm-hmm. you're, you're out of balance. You got to go see John. <laughs> Or it could be for the athlete themselves because they might want just a deeper understanding of how their body works and how, you know, a lot of people, if they can understand, like, there's a reason why I'm suffering through this isometric, they can have a little more mental toughness to keep going through it. We have protocols, corrective protocols that involve adjustments. So obviously you have to be a licensed chiropractor for that. But we have other types of mechanisms we can use to get the same effect where you don't use manipulations right and john you use a yeah. lot of those techniques yeah yeah um, i'm a prime example i'm not a chiropractor yeah but, so you know you I, don't I, have I, to the, be a doctor to yeah. to implement this system you could be a person you know mm-hmm. and and that that's great so don't feel like well i don't know enough about biology or i don't know enough about neurology i explain everything you need to know we have beautiful diagrams we draw it all out we put it into real time and demonstrate it, and you guys get to try it and feel it, and and it's it's a it's really ex, it's a really fun, exciting class. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, so we'll we will put all that information out there. Um, I usually put our podcast stuff out on my like my personal like page. So if you don't follow me, follow me on Instagram at Farmer John ELP. Um, that's where I put a lot of the podcast stuff as well. Um, obviously, Dr. J will share it, and, and Chris will be sharing it as well on their on their socials. Once we get all this information, we'll put all that out there. And it, it is it's a training for everybody, um, you know, healthcare provider to you know to trainer to parent, um, anybody. So it, it'll be it'll be really good, and uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of y'all. Um, we'll also have a few other things with Dr. J coming out uh, as well. We got some uh, new membership things that we're going to be launching as well as a newsletter and uh, he's going to be a part of that and so there's a lot of good stuff coming up guys so appreciate y'all listening um doc where can everybody find you for those new listeners yeah we've got the neurotarget system uh facebook page um we've also got neurotarget chiropractic uh facebook page which is one is my clinic and then one is more about the system we've also got if you want to contact me you can email at info at ntchiro.com cool cool and uh yeah so guys remember if you if you got any value out of this show which uh i don't know how you could not get value out of this uh leave us a review and subscribe please uh take the two minutes out of your day to do that for us um that helps us out a lot so we can continue to you know get this information to y'all and connect you with people like dr j um so doc as always it has been a pleasure Um, We appreciate you coming on, and yeah, guys, we will connect with you all soon. All right, bye, guys.